this thing on? Because it's getting ready to be on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bell Ringer. My name is Greg. Your guest name today is Bob Confer, president of Confer Plastics. We talk about some of the really fun things that they make in their plant at Confer Plastics. We talk about the advantages that an advanced manufacturer has here in Western New York from workforce to location to especially the utility infrastructure and affordability. And then we talk about the COVID pandemic and precautions Confer took all the way back in January. Thanks to him for his time and you for yours. So for those that don't know, what is Confer Plastics? Uh, we're all about fun. I try to tell people that what we do is we get people on the water and in the water. 90% of what we manufacture in blow molding is related to pools and spas, kayaks, docks, and uh, all sorts of outdoor activities like that. The other 10% would be industrial consumer goods, but our primary focus is on having fun. And talk a bit about your, your growth since you know, opening over the last few decades and um, the scope of the company now, you know, how many employees, all that kind of stuff. I lost a little bit of audio right there. You lost me? Yep. Oh, okay. Let me just make sure my mic's plugged in good. Can you hear me good? Yep. And talk a little bit about, um, you know, just the, the scope and growth of the company over the last few years, you know, how many employees, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, right now we have around 200 coworkers on my team and that's been uh, some significant growth over the past 10 or 12 years. I would say going back in time to say 2008, we were probably about 120 coworkers on my team and we've seen a lot of growth in the kayak industry, which is a custom job for us. Someone comes to us with that idea, we make it for them, and then they do the distribution. They go out to the market channels, what have you. The pool and spa products, those are our own brands, and the growth in that industry has been pretty dramatic. Even before the staycation economy came on to be because of COVID, we saw a lot of growth come out of the spa industry specifically, leading right up to that. So when it comes to what we do in those product lines, we make the ladders and steps that get people into swimming pools. And then we also make the steps and the pads for hot tubs, but we also make the cabinetry that goes on the outside of hot tubs. So that would be the panels, the corners that dress it up. Back in the day, they used to be made out of wood. They were made out of real cheap extruded plastic, but then we upgraded that marketplace up to really strong blow molded panels. And it's not necessarily so much of a Confer branded product. It's a Confer product that we sell to the OEMs, spy manufacturers in the US and Canada, who then outfit their hot tubs with it. So it's not really going direct to consumer. It's going to those players. They do the full assembly on that. And that's been a really good growth for us. And uh, we've added quite a few machines over the past few years. Back in 2017, we had added a machine that's one of the largest in the whole world in terms of blow molding. It's got a press height of about 16 feet, so it can make a part in excess of that in length. It can make a part about three feet wider than what a kayak ever would be. And it'll drop 150 pounds of plastic in one shot. So that thing is a mammoth beast. And that's our calling when it comes to what we do for molding is 
It's either go big or go home. So we do things that other players in the industry can't do. There's a lot of blow molders out there who would make smaller products, things that might come in at weights from 30 pounds and below. Our focus has been since the early 90s on very large stuff. So we have multiple large machines where typically a blow molder might look at a large machine as being something that drops 50 pounds of plastic in one shot. To us, that's middle of the road because we've got 250s, 275s, the 100 and 150 pound machine. So we can do a lot of things that people can't do domestically and can't do internationally. And that's been good for us, especially when it comes to international competition, because it's easy for someone in China to fill up a shipping container with really small parts, whether it's toys, little doodads, whatever it might be. But if you try to get a purchasing manager to say that you're going to ship kayaks from China, when you look inside of a kayak, inside the cockpit, really it's nothing but air. And no one wants to ship air on a shipping container. So we focus on doing the large stuff so we don't lose out to China, India, Mexico, whatever it might be. And I would assume along with that, you know, go big or go home mentality um, comes a lot of the the power requirements that you joined our Recharge New York webinar to discuss. So I know you're in the, the Recharge program. Tell us a bit about the ways in which that benefits your business. And if you could, um, just kind of the log line for others that aren't really sure what it is. The Recharge New York program is offered by the New York Power Authority. What it is is uh, clean hydroelectric power that comes from the Niagara Power Project. And uh, what an employer would do to apply for that is promise to retain jobs or bring on jobs. And then in most cases, they would want to see some sort of investment. So when it came to our time to apply, we had uh, said we were investing in that very large machine but also they look at it as a retention tool. So not necessarily in all cases does someone have to say that they're going to invest in, in new equipment or more people or uh, say a new facility. So we uh, utilized that and it was important for us because we wanted to remain competitive with the kayaks. So even though I had mentioned, we're not gonna lose out internationally to that, we're gonna lose out domestically, especially when there's about three big players in the marketplace. We don't don't want to lose market share because that market share is the market share of our customer as well. So that client who we make the kayaks for, they don't want to lose their place in the market. So that power allows us to cut back on our costs quite significantly. When you look at how much power we use in our facility, there's a village here in Niagara County called Middleport. There's probably uh, about 1,500 people to 2,000 people in there. If you take all of those homes within that village times three, that's how much power we're using in our little building. So it takes a lot to generate the heat that's necessary to melt the plastic, move the plastic, things like that. So when I look at what the savings were that came from Recharge New York, right now it's anywhere between 15 to $20,000 a year. That is guaranteed to ramp up in the coming years because as uh, the marketplace here in New York and elsewhere starts to go to maybe a slightly higher cost in terms of solar and wind, this gives me cost certainty, and that allows me to better price products as we go to market, and the savings are going to multiply over time. And the same holds true for the other pieces of power that I have from the New York Power Authority, which are other blocks of power that we got from the Niagara Power Project through some various other programs. So signing up for that is easy. 
I would suggest that anyone coming to the Buffalo Niagara region or anyone within it that is investing to grow, look at that for your operations. You don't necessarily have to be a manufacturer like we are that are a prime consumer of power. You might be running an office space, you might be running a retailer. The program is there for everyone to utilize. And, you know, along with hydropower, there's the the affordability and then there's the reliability. And I think that that is especially important in the wake of what we saw in in Texas, really statewide there. Um, so for you as um, a leader of a business, how important is that reliability? You know, that it's it's going to be there, but also the, you know, on our webinar, I think you talked about the consistency of the cost of water compared to maybe some of those other green energy resources. Yeah, in terms of price certainty, that's absolutely critical, but so is reliability, especially when it comes to manufacturing. Because the thing is, if you lose machine time, you can never get it back. There's only so many days in the week, so many days in the year. Once you've lost that machine time, as precious as it is, you can't get that back. So you don't want any downtime whatsoever. And when you look at what happened in Texas, and it's also issues that happen, say out in California, it might have wildfires or earthquakes, things like that that take out the grid or even looking at anything along the Gulf where you're gonna have hurricanes come in and demolish infrastructure. We're pretty safe up here in West New York. The worst thing that we would get typically is uh, an ice storm. And then when you look at the reliability that's afforded by the big players in the marketplace, such as National Grid, places like that, that take care of the power lines, they have crews on call that get those up and running. So the amount of downtime that we have because of electrical issues is absolutely minimal. Where I can typically say that over the course of an average year, at most, we're gonna lose maybe half of a day. And that, that's pretty significant, especially when you look at what's happening in these other places and, and take Texas, for example, what happened when they got hit with the deep freeze and was supposed to be rolling blackouts that end up being long-term blackouts. There were manufacturers that were off the grid for weeks at a time. We can't afford that in the business that we're in because that upsets the whole supply chain and then we lose clients and they lose clients. Yeah. And we always say, you know, people bring up the the snow point to us and we talk about those natural disasters. We say, you know, snow melts and Buffalo keeps going. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, and we're prepared for it. When you look at when the deep freeze came down to Texas, they weren't necessarily prepared for that. And we're prepared for mother nature to send Jack Frost at us at any time. So um, you're an out front leader in the Western New York advanced manufacturing sector, um, you know, outspoken on social media and involved in, in plenty of groups. What we just talked about a lot of the utility infrastructure that is an advantage for manufacturers and food processors alike in the region. What other advantages do you see that Western New York offers a company, um, you know, especially for someone listening that, that, might be from outside of the region? Uh, we'll start off first with uh, the mantra that they always use in real estate, that it's location, location, location. So when you look at where the Buffalo Niagara region is located in terms of having access to consumers, whether it's here in the United States or maybe just across the border in Canada or even internationally, we have access to all of that. So if, if someone takes what we always do is we just take that circle and run that 500 miles out from where we are at Confer Plastics. How many consumers can we reach as the portion of the U.S. and Canadian population? 
it's something along the lines of about 45, 46% of the US population within that 500 miles. And then when you look at Canada, with uh, the Golden Horseshoe being right next to us, when you've got Hamilton, Toronto, and the GTA, that puts us uh, real close to about 50% of the Canadian population. And then you look at the access that we have to the ports. You've got ports that you could utilize the St. Lawrence Seaway, you could utilize things out on the East Coast. So we have access to the whole world right here and it's easy access. And it's quite a lot of population to choose from here in North America, but it's also that access to the, the greater world. And when you look at the network that we have around us, in terms of interstates, there are interstates running throughout all these big cities here in Western New York and right next to the smaller towns as well. So it's easy to bring in resources and it's just as easy to get them out. And that is a major selling point. That's a key reason why we chose North Tonawanda or at least my grandfather did back in the 1970s, well before I was born. But uh, what he wanted to do was uh, find a place where he had access to such a network to bring in goods and ship out goods, but also to have access to a network of manufacturing support where, where we're from on the other side of the county, out in farm country, you're not necessarily gonna have manufacturing support, but out here, North Tonawanda, Niagara Falls, Buffalo, we have access to all of the different organizations, uh, the repair companies, the contractors, the real estate magnets, everyone else that could get an operation up and running and running properly. So related to that is another key selling point for uh, Western New York, and that's people. So that's a key driver for us because even though we have that technology to do things that other people can't, to make that happen, you need the people to do things that other people can't. So we have individuals who we've trained from within, but also trained from without. We have access to adult education programs locationally at the local uh, Orleans Niagara BOCES. We have access to Niagara County Community College, Erie County College, and also MCC out in Batavia. So when you look at all those different players that can provide us the education that's needed to create the next electrician, the next hydraulic scientist within our realm. That gives us the ability to uh, do what's necessary to serve our customers and then serve the world. And then when you look at just on the general laborer side, it takes a lot of people to make the products that we have. Using an example of a swimming pool ladder, just to do the whole outfitting on that, to trim up that box, ship it out. There's gonna be eight people directly involved with it. And then there's gonna be about four people indirectly in terms of moving materials, shipping the product, things like that. So where do we get all those people? There's a gigantic labor pool to choose from in the region. And a critical selling point to that is the availability of people who want to do blue collar work. For a lot of manufacturers who might be looking at other regions within the country, it's difficult to find the personnel that you need because they might not be within that blue collar mindset or they might actually be one, two, or three generations removed from it. If a manufacturer is looking at a place that is typically involved in finance or back office, things like that. But if you want that blue collar mindset, which is more than just working with hands, it's also working with the minds because you have to have people understand mathematics, science, hydraulics, electrical, technology, whatever it might be, that can be found uh, right here and put to good use. And then from there, there's also the labor pool that's available in terms of refugees and immigrants, where the federal government had settled specifically 
Burmese refugees, so refugees from Myanmar who were involved in various civil wars throughout the years. They were put into refugee camps overseas. Federal government brought them over to uh, the United States, settled Burmese in Buffalo and also Fort Wayne, Indiana, strongest population here, where we look at the growth of those who are first here and also their offspring, the Burmese community right here in Buffalo is something like 15,000 people, all hard workers, all who want to live the American dream. And it gives me great value to see them doing that in their facility and helping us live ours. And it, it's uh, a win-win for them, us, the customers. It's a big team effort and they've been uh, great for our growth. Hey, Talk about, um, you know, that that workforce and how important it has been to your growth. Um, as I was poking around your website um, in like preparation for the interview, I was struck by um, a lot of the information that you had about the, the pandemic on the website for employees and how proactive you had been throughout um, in preparing for the pandemic and making sure you had a safe facility for those employees. You know, you just mentioned how hard they work, you know, on behalf of the company. And it seems that throughout the pandemic, you tried to do the best you could on behalf of them to keep them all safe. So talk a little bit about leading through a pandemic and the ways in which you've had to pivot. You know, I saw even on the website, you started making changes and having conversations in January of 2020, well before March when all of us really started to kind of lock down and I started working from home and all that type of stuff. So how has that process been over the last now, you know, 12, 13 months? Well, it's been a, it's been a long haul, but it's been an interesting one. And it's been for us a, a very safe one. And it all started, as you mentioned, back in uh, January of last year, where we try to watch the trends that are happening throughout the world. We started noticing things that were happening in Asia because we've got the Chinese competition and just in general, we have to be prepared for what's going to happen to us. So back in January, we had been looking at what does this mean to people's investments? We had talked to our team about, here's what you're gonna to do to manage your 401ks based upon what we're seeing happening. So as that started to progress into February, we started educating our coworkers about here how for that and uh, it was little things back then in February such as instituting uh, travel quarantines or you've got it and uh, especially here in Western New York you're going to have people traveling in February going all over the world they're going to be going to uh, Florida going to Disney they're going to be going to the Bahamas to get away from the cold for a little bit so you've got people coming in from all over so we instituted travel quarantines well before the federal government and state government did because we wanted to keep people safe so we kept people out of work for 14 days at a time because we didn't know what was happening because we couldn't trust national and international travel spreading any sort of disease. So we started to look further into that and getting prepared for what would it be like as it started to come here. So we started to do little things at the time such as eliminate the hand scanner because if it's spread by human contact, we didn't want people clocking in and out for work and run their hand through there. So we went to manual recording at that time. And then we started to lay out a plan of what will it look like if it gets even worse. And that's when uh, it really did get worse in March. And we had preemptively planned a shutdown, anticipating 
the state causing a shutdown. So we told our customers two weeks in advance that we were going to shut down for at least two weeks. So if you want to get product out, make sure you get it moving now because we're going to be shut down for a prolonged period. We were able during the shutdown to maintain our warehouse operations. But other than that, we went into a, a full shutdown. So as we were in shutdown for most of our product line was about six weeks. The other parts were end up being about nine weeks. What we did is we developed an opening plan. So we put this into full force and I actually empowered an individual in my workforce who had been working at our one of our warehouses, brilliant young man. I said, you know what, we're going to take his, his ability to plan and prepare and turn him into something I call the COVID-19 administrator. So a lot of workplaces didn't have such a person in a role like that. So we put him into uh, that position to take all the rules that I created to improve them, audit them, make sure they're followed, make sure people are trained on it, and make sure that we have all the resources that were necessary. And especially last spring, when not a lot of people had things like masks and basic PPE and stuff like that, he had his work cut out for him, digging up all that stuff and getting everyone trained and getting everyone used to that. And we've been very fortunate that over that whole period, even though we've had multiple exposures outside of the workforce, we haven't had any inside the workplace. And it's all a testament to him, testament to our program, and a testament to everyone on our team, because everyone has been diligent wearing the masks and doing the things that they have to do. And uh, even foregoing the camaraderie of having a break room in the factory. And that was always something you'd have 40, 50 people in a break room, getting to know each other, things like that. We've limited the capacity to eight people at a time. We've opened up some other dining space in the warehouse just because we understand that the common areas would be an area where somebody might be most prone to uh, getting sick rather than that happening at the machine because people are wearing the mask, they're wearing gloves by nature of the job itself, and they have workspace around them where they're not on top of each other. So instituting all those rules were critical for us and they ended up being critical for other employers within the region because when we went back to business, we were among the first. And when other businesses had to go back into operation, they didn't know what to do, especially if it was someone that was involved in office operations or retail. They don't typically look at the world of health and safety like we do in manufacturing, because we've got all the moving machines, all the moving equipment, saws, uh, hydraulic presses, things like that. So getting used to that world of health and safety, getting used to OSHA standards was old hat to us. So we took what we learned from that, made an opening plan for ourselves. Then we made it for fellow employers. So that was shared with Niagara County's economic development program, who then shared it with other counties and also with the state. And we can see different portions of the state's reopening plan where they had used parts of our guidelines to create theirs. And that feels good for us because the driver for us all the time is, is the American dream, that we can have it here, that people can have it in their organizations and that people can have it in the community. So we, if we can allow other businesses to flourish, allow them to reopen and do so safely, that made us feel uh, really good. It, it saw value in what we were doing. Well, we greatly appreciate your time in, in joining us, all the work you do on behalf of the manufacturing sector in Western New York and, you know, that incredible work toward, you know, keeping people safe during the pandemic, not just at your facility, but beyond. Uh, before I let you go, we do a couple hard-hitting blizzard round questions. So if you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be? 
uh, speculus cookie ice cream. Hard to Hooker find in the marketplace, but it's really good. What was that? It's hard to find in the marketplace anymore, but it's really good. Book or TV show that you'd recommend? You know, I'm old school when it comes to uh, TV shows. So I always tell people, go back with the old Westerns, watch Bonanza, my favorite TV show. In terms of a book, um, it's a nonfiction piece and it's actually a reference piece, but I would always suggest to people because I'm a nature lover, go with Reader's Digest Guide to North American Wildlife if you want to learn about the plants and animals around you. Text or phone call? It's always going to be a phone call because believe it or not, I'm so old school that I still use a flip phone. Wow. That's a first, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hiking or skiing? Hiking. I do a lot of that. I saw, um, I think you were on Twitter just the other day talking about all the nature just around you in the Buffalo Niagara area. Yeah, and that's a good quality of life issue for anyone wanting to move to the region the access that people have to trail networks and the river, the, the Great Lakes, there's so much that people can do and it's, it's an amazing place to be. How about uh, Bills or Sabres? Bills. Kind of have to right now. Yeah, definitely. And, <laughs> and last question, most important, chicken wings, drumstick or flat? You know, if, if I could eat chicken wings, I would say uh, flat, but because of migraine headaches, chicken is actually a trigger. I have not had chicken wings since 1996. So to live here in the Mecca of chicken wings and not have the ability to eat them, it's frustrating. But one of these days, I'm going to dig into one and just go with the consequences. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Bell Ringer is a podcast by Invest Buffalo Niagara, the region's privately funded nonprofit marketing and economic development organization. Please rate this podcast, follow our social media channels, and read our blog at buffaloniagara.org for the best of Buffalo Niagara. Come grow your business with us.